Hello, everyone. Welcome to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Uh, today, I'm filling in for, for John, who's away for the weekend. Uh, and with me today is James Zuba. James, how's it going? Hello, everyone, and happy Syracuse basketball transfers find a destination week. Oh, look at you. Very prepared. <laughs> I was going to go with, a, like, Bayheim, Bayheim, Bayheim week. Um, oh, there we go. Yes. There, there's, there are many options. Um, probably not as happy a week if you're uh, lacrosse-focused, but we'll, we'll get to that probably another week uh, coming up soon. Um, hopefully, by the time that happens, things will have rebounded, but a, a tough, uh, tough few uh, weeks here for the, the boys on the field out there. But we're going to be talking mostly basketball with James, uh, our resident basketball editor and expert here, on with us. And of course, uh, as you alluded to, that means transfer talk, because that is the world in which we live right now, both with this one year grace period, thanks to the NCAA, plus the new uh, rule, which is uh, expected to be uh, the new one year uh, transfer um, waiver uh, for every non transfer player um, that's expected to be passed on the 28th. Uh, we're entering a very new realm of, of Syracuse basketball, and I think it's it's been a very interesting one for the program, both outgoing and ingoing. Totally. Uh, you know, we, we saw transfers last year with the three guards, and, you know, we kind of got a little bit of taste of that. And, you know, for, for Syracuse, they almost got a little bit of it last year with Alan Griffin coming in and, and getting the waiver right away to play. Obviously, that was a different scenario, uh, him coming to play closer from home, but yeah, we're we're in a very new era of you know college basketball and, and the one-time transfers, obvious, obviously. And for Syracuse, it's it's maybe something other than last year that historically you're not really used to. Uh, you know, we've seen Jim Beheim take transfers more recently, um, with guys having to sit out a year. But uh, yeah, we're we're in a new era, and uh, for some of these older coaches, it might prove to be difficult that aren't used to it. Uh, I think you know it's probably not the reason why Roy stepped away. Maybe that's a conversation for another day, but. Uh, for maybe him, maybe it was kind of like the final nail in the coffin where someone like him didn't want to just didn't want to deal with it. And uh, for some of the you know more older coaches, it might prove to be difficult. Yeah, and I honestly kind of think it's fair enough. Like it is, it has really changed the game, and it, it basically adds this whole other layer of recruiting. Um, and it's very like like rapid, uh, fast. Obviously, you're not always having guys in person. You're you're trying to find like cultural and play style fits uh, on a really quick turnaround. Um, and obviously I think we've seen like pretty hit or miss uh, situations here at Q's like um, Alan, I think this year had some really, really good moments. He also had some games where he just couldn't stay on the court for one reason or another. Um, and he's obviously he's off to the NBA and I think he either is expected to, or has signed with an agent. So he is, he is done. Um, but we've also seen guys really thrive transferring in. I will say one of my concerns for Syracuse, and obviously I, I'm supportive of the the transfer waiver, uh, the rule change. Um, so I think it's good that the NCAA is finally doing this and allowing guys to transfer and play right away once. Um, for Syracuse, I think we kind of had an advantage with these this, the, the one year waiting period, though the uh, the one year sit out because we had guys like Wes Johnson, Elijah uh, Elijah Hughes, uh, Mike Benajay, guys who looked the part for the program and like really seemed like Syracuse players. But then they also had a year to like learn the zone and really figure out how to fit into the program. And then we're, we're all really good, or at least like solid role players from the start. West was obviously like an all American level player from, from his year one with Syracuse. But then you did like Alan this year, who, who knows in another situation, if he had to sit a year, maybe, you know, he's coming to the team next year and he looks like great. Um, but I do wonder if because of the zone and because of the Syracuse kind of style on defensive end, if there is 
um, a, a just a bit of a, a harder great, uh, learning period for guys coming into the program. John and I touched on this a couple of weeks ago, and I wonder if you have any thoughts on on if the zone does make it harder for guys to step right in, or if uh, it's just you know it's kind of tough because it's been a kind of a case by case thing. Yeah, it's interesting, and you bring up some good points there. I mean, we'll, we'll never know the other side. We'll, we'll never know what it would have looked like if, if Alan Griffin sat a year and then, you know, became eligible this year and how that would have all played out. Or uh, maybe in previous years, yeah, maybe it did help some guys. I mean, I think in a situation like Mike Benajay, he he's probably not going to play that much his first year anyway. So maybe, you know, him getting a year of practice under his belt, learning the zone, learning the system, uh, maybe that benefited, you know, someone like him a little bit more than, say like, you know, a Wes Johnson, he probably would have played right away and fit right into the rotation and, and been great. So, you know, yeah, maybe it's more of a case-by-case basis, but I, I do kind of think generally across the board, though, when, when you have a system like Syracuse and, you know, you play the zone and, and it is a little bit complicated, um, d- despite what Jim Beheim might say, I think there are some adjustments that you, you have to make when you're a player. And, you know, I think generally we've seen that. You know, guys tend to get better at the zone throughout their career. I think it's just easier once you've, you've seen it, you've played it for a little a little bit, uh, you've played it for a year, you've been in practice. And, uh, you know, for some guys that come in, it's, it's proven to be difficult. I mean, I think of the Andrew White and, and John Gillen. I mean, it took those guys a little bit of time to get up to speed. And, you know, finally by February or March of that year, they, they were catching on. So um, it's, it's case by case. I mean, sometimes you get guys that come in right away that are good. And sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer, but, I do kind of tend to think that in this new era, when Syracuse is a program that tends to thrive off of having multiple year multiple year players, uh, it does add another layer of difficulty into the mix. Yeah, and it. I mean, I think for us, like obviously, there were some guys we expected to transfer. There were others like like Robert Braswell, who had a really strong end to the year that we were hoping would stick around, both because of the running bid Bob Braswell memes on the site, but also because he like was an incredibly important player for us in the NCAA tournament and looked to really be hitting that stride in terms, especially on the defensive end. Um, But I do wonder, I think this year our approach has been a little more interesting. We've really kind of focused on guys we think we could get. And you do have a a trio of incoming transfers in Samir Torrance, who's obviously a local guy, who's a kind of a rangy uh, guard, who uh, just seems like the kind of guy who could thrive playing defense on the top of the zone. Um, Cole Swider obviously uh, is a you know a pretty tall, lanky power forward. Obviously, it's a shooting stroke defense is a bit of a question, but it's it's tough to know without seeing him play in the zone. And then then Jimmy Beheim, the most recent transfer, I imagine is is pretty familiar. <laughs> I don't know how much he's actually played it, and that's like a legitimate thing. But um, I know his coach at Cornell uh, kind of thought that he actually might play, be a better zone defender than a man defender. Um, so no, I think this this trio actually seems like maybe it's it's a group more uh, oriented towards guys who can possibly come in and play the zone effectively right away versus some guys in the past. Like John Dillon was a really nice player for us, had like probably a couple of the most memorable offensive games that we've seen in recent years. Um, definitely not built for the zone. I think he, he tried really hard, um, but I don't think that was like his, his, you know, perfect uh, fit on defense um, at least with, with Torrance and then like, Hopefully Jimmy just based based on his, you know, being in that family and Swider even uh to a to an extent. Like it seems like guys who might be able to slide in there and maybe be a little uh more aware of it and uh hopefully pick things up quicker. But obviously we won't know until we get a couple months into the season here. Right. Yeah, we're we're a long ways off from knowing for sure, like you said. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Um 
you know, I kind of buy that from, from Jimmy's coach, um, you know, maybe him and, and Cole for that matter, uh, not so great in man, but, but maybe have the potential to be better zone defenders than man defenders where, you know, they can kind of anticipate and, and react as opposed to guarding somebody one-on-one in space. So th- there might be a benefit there. They might be able to, you know, kind of anticipate and, um, you know, both those guys are, are long and, and tall. So there might, there might be some advantages there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know that it's going to be again, the, the best defensive team that Syracuse is ever going to put out. Um, that's, that's been a struggle the last couple of years. Uh, this, the zone did get better, you know, down the stretch and, and into March here this year. So um, I guess there's some, some sign for optimism, but uh, you know, I, again, like, I don't know if this is going to be the most athletic or, or, you know, best defensive team, but, but the offense does have a lot of potential. That's for sure. Yeah. The offense is hard not to get uh, excited about, especially if we see like the kind of development um, year to year, like hopefully Joe takes a big step forward. And I think that might be like the single most important thing on offense. Uh, if Joe gets more consistent, um, is a guy who can play 30 minutes and like, we all feel really good about it. Um, but he obviously, I, I don't even know if it's realistic for him to take much of a step forward from where he was in March. But if that's, if that's him all year or like 80% of that is him all year, um, that's a really scary player. Uh, and then you have Cole and Jimmy who can both stretch the floor from, from, uh, from the front court. Um, I think we have our, you know, potentially our best center situation in a long time um, with Barama hopefully being healthy. I know Jim says that he'll be good to go because he's, he's kind of gotten past this infection thing. Um, and Jesse who played really, really well down the stretch. So I do think offensively um, this team does have potential. Uh, I think one of my biggest questions about the roster though, um, I just kind of, I wonder if we're done. Um, I, the one guy that I've been kind of uh, honed in on and I really would love to get is Jalen Pickett from Siena. Obviously there's the upstate connection, but like, He's a sits four guard. He's a, a good scoring guard. Um, projects as a guy who could probably play the zone pretty well. Shoots the ball well. Like, I don't. Know, do you think we're we're done on the transfer market here? Or do you think there's still some work to be done? Uh, slash, do you think Bayheim is still going to be aggressively pursuing guys? Yeah, and he's a former City Rock as, as well. So you could complete the the all City Rock backcourt that Syracuse has going right now. Um, I would kind of be surprised if they added him just because um, I don't know that they want to add another player into the mix. I think when you look at the roster right now, and depending on what Quincy Garrier does, I I think Quincy would be gone. Um, just It's just kind of my hunch. I mean, there's a possibility he could come back. Maybe he wants to, you know, really improve his draft stock. He could be like kind of an all-ACC candidate player. Uh, but, but I think he, his mind is kind of set on, on going pro. But, you know, looking at the roster right now, there's there's eight guys in the mix that that could realistically play um and and i think i don't know if the coaching staff wants to add one more i mean we we heard jim uh on espn radio syracuse last week just say you know had, had Kadari stayed there would have only been three guards here next year so that that kind of leads me to believe that you know maybe they don't go after samir or at least not as hard and you know maybe they only want three guards there now maybe I could see them wanting him to maybe like take another freshman, maybe kind of like an, you know, under the radar guy that, you know, might be a good fit for the zone um, that would be okay. You know, maybe wanting to come in and, and grow and learn. Um, but then again, you run the risk of him maybe not playing and then transferring in the next year. So it's, it's a tricky situation right now, but, but I would be surprised if Syracuse added anybody more, you know, from the transfer portal at this point. Yeah, I, I think the, just kind of learning the ebbs and flows of how these transfers are going to end up working out um, is going to be really important for for Beheim and 
you know, what I assume is his last few years here, uh, just because he does have that that penchant for limiting his rotation so much down to like seven. I was honestly like at the end of the year, this season was probably one of the more um, wide rotations we've had with like eight guys playing at least like some role every game. Um, but I, I do wonder if like, because people are going to be more quick trigger on pulling on, on transferring and leaving. Uh, whereas, you know, we've heard of guys like MCW and Dion who like in another world, maybe they don't come back for a second year. And obviously that ended up being a you know great decision that they did um, both thrive to sophomores. But I wonder if it's going to be more on Jim to ch- try to figure out getting guys playing time or selling them on like year two, you will have the opportunity once you've learned everything or if he's just going to be the Jim Beheim we've, we've known. And that's been very successful, but it's, it, I don't know that we can afford to have this kind of turnover on a year to year basis. It's very, especially with a developmental um, system-oriented program that we have, I, I think if that becomes a real challenge, if you're, you know, replacing five or six guys, you know, every so often. Yeah, really tricky. I mean, I think programs like Florida State stand to benefit from this, where, you know, at least you can prove to guys and say, hey, you know, we played you, we've, we've given you kind of a slice of the pie, and, um, you know, you you feel like a part of the program and you can continue to grow with it. If if you're the, you know. 10th guy or 11th guy and you're not looking at playing time it's it's going to be really hard to convince that guy hey come back for another year you know we believe in you uh you know there's definitely a greater chance of playing time next year that sort of thing unless you're losing a lot of players um unless you're you know guys are going pro or um you know the seniors that do stick around at this point so it's it's definitely going to be tricky um yeah obviously as you mentioned we we know jim likes a short bench um, we kind of know the the times that we're in, so it's it's going to be difficult to manage. But yeah, I mean, I think for those freshmen, you you really kind of you know, like I look at Woody Newton as a guy in in an older era of of college basketball. He he's a guy that could really make a jump, you know, maybe as a sophomore or a junior, and and be really good, you know, be that kind of like three year, four year player um, that could really make a jump, and maybe yeah, year two or year three, and you know, maybe play a lot as a senior if he sticks around, but. I, I don't think we see that as much. You know, I don't think we see uh, like the James Sutherland type of career that we've seen at Syracuse anymore just because we're in a different era. Yeah, and it, it's kind of tough because like I totally get it. It's college careers are short. Even if they are four years, it's hard to – you have to really make a mark. Um, guys have really lofty goals to get to the NBA, and it's hard to get dra- – it's harder to get drafted as you go through your career. So it's, I, I've never held it against anyone for leaving early, and I it's hard to hold anyone against – hard to hold it against anyone for making a jump to a place where they might be able to play more in their first sure. couple of years. Um, I thought the, the forward transfers ended up being pretty interesting. Um, I browse. So for those who didn't follow along in the last couple of days, uh, Woody Newton landed at Oklahoma state. So a really nice spot for him, a good tournament team and a very good league. Robert Braswell ended up at UNC Charlotte. Uh, so he should get plenty of playing time. I am, were you, were you surprised at all that he didn't end up at a bigger school considering how well he played down the stretch this year? Yeah, I, I thought he might, you know, try to play up or, you know, maybe he wanted to go close to home or play it like a Clemson. I thought that might be a possibility. Um, but, you know, maybe he just wants to play a level down and, and kind of step up. I, I don't admittedly know what, what Charlotte has. I know they had one guy who, who scored a lot of points. Maybe he can kind of join alongside him and be like that secondary scorer. But, um, you know, I, I thought he might possibly garner some, you know, lower power five interest given, yeah, he played his, his best and, and the best, you know, 
the the, the portion of the schedule where you're going to get the most visibility. Um, and he, yeah, he played really well. So um, I, I'm not really sure who reached out to him, but I thought he definitely had the potential to, you know, kind of stay at that level, um, regardless of where, even if he stayed at Syracuse, to, well, depending on how the forward situation worked out. You know, he, he obviously had great potential to, to be really good at Syracuse too. So, um, but, you know, maybe he just wanted to be closer to home and felt that was a good opportunity for him and maybe has a chance to be a star there. But, uh, yeah, definitely interesting where, where some of the other transfers, obviously Kadari, uh, that's been known for a while. He's going to Seton Hall. Um, and then Woody going to Oklahoma State, who I think they're supposed to have everybody back except for Cade Cunningham. So uh, they should be really good again next year. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be, it'll be like – Kind of tough. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to pull for him. I hope Woody does really well there. It's going to be tough because I, from what we saw from Woody this year, mostly early in the season, obviously, I was really excited to see him. He looked like the the just the exact type of forward that always thrives for Syracuse. So I've, hopefully, he does well. But it will be a bit hard to be like, all right, well, I'm so glad he's out in the Big Twelve, storing like 17 points a game with his uh, smooth, uh, soft jump shot. Like, uh, it's it's tough to, to lose a guy like that because I thought he had incredible potential and Braswell too. Like Braswell is just so good down the stretch, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. No question. Yeah. It's, it's almost like too, you have to re-recruit your own players and and hope they come back. And you know, when a guy goes, you just, I guess you kind of just go and go into the transfer portal and see what you can get. And uh, you know, luckily for Syracuse, they, they were quick and got a couple guys right away. So we'll, we'll see what those guys bring. Yeah, and again, they're 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 veteran players. They're hopefully going to be more plug and play ready. I've I've warmed on pretty much all of them. I was excited about Spider from the jump. Um, Torrance, obviously, there were like some concerns of especially about his offense. But I thought the interview that uh, one of the the Marquette guys gave for for us was pretty revealing um, and gave me like uh, more more optimism and hope about what he can bring on both sides of the ball. And then Jimmy Beheim, like we've been. You know, we kind of thought he was coming the whole time. Um, we'll talk about that a little more in the second half, but I do think it's an interesting fit, especially with Swider already already having committed. Um, obviously, uh, well, for those who don't know, Seton Hall is kind of like your your secondary team in a way. I know you've had tickets for them in the past. What, what, what was your reaction to uh, Kadari going there of all places? Yeah, yeah. I could have seen him going to any of the, the top three. Um, you know, he, he had interest from from Oklahoma State as well. And, uh, you know, I think he would have been a good fit there. Uh, Mike Boynton is a Brooklyn guy, so I could, you know, I definitely could have seen him going out there and given the connection there, wanting to play for for him as a head coach. Um, Seton Hall just just made sense for, you know, being closer to home. Uh, Florida State, now, that that's the only thing that didn't quite make sense to me, why they emerged as the early favorite, because, you know, Kadari played 21 minutes a game as a freshman at Syracuse, and if you're, if you're wanting more minutes – I don't necessarily know that you're going to get that at Florida State, unless you're you're really good. But like, you know, MJ Walker, I, I think he probably played around 25 minutes a game. So I, I don't, I didn't see the minute situation uh, really developing for him there. So so Seton Hall kind of made sense. Um, it's a chance for him to play closer to home, be closer to home, and they do have quite a few guards. Uh, they have, I think, Jameer Harris coming in from American as well. And Miles Cal is returning as well, so the backcourt situation is kind of crowded. They, they have a freshman from, I believe, Texas who played sparingly last year, and then another uh, top-rated prospect. I think he's a top 150 kid uh, coming in at guard. So they do have five guards. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. And then they have Roden on the wing, 
So maybe they want Kadari in more of a, a playmaker role and, and kind of score when you can alongside Cal and, and Roden. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good fit for him. Um, they could use some shooting. <laughs> so some of the, the players there might be a little bit similar in terms of skill set. Um, hopefully he can just, you know, develop a jumper and kind of, you know, continue to grow in that c- category as we saw, you know, him knock down a few jumpers in March. But uh, yeah, o- overall the style of play and fit and closer to home, I-, I think a lot of that makes sense for him. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a good fit. I, I think he should be a starter from day one. So um, he-, he should, you know, obviously the- there are a lot of guards there, but I, I think he's going to start. Yeah, I, I think it would be a surprise if he didn't at least get some pretty significant acknowledgement that he's going to be in line to start and play yeah. significant minutes. And I, I have the same thought about Florida state. Like that's a great program and it's hard, you know, it'd be hard to really blame him for going there if he had, but like their best, but they have guys who go in like the top five of the NBA draft. You play like 25 minutes a game. So definitely not the, uh, didn't make the most sense at the time in terms of if that was like really his main goal. So, um, seeing Holland ultimately, I think does make a lot of sense. Um, it's a little tough with the uh, our recent history with transfers to them, but I do hope he does well because he's a he's a super dynamic, exciting player, um, and I think he has a legit NBA shot, especially if he gets like any kind of consistent jump shot, which we did see more of at the late in the year. Um, he'll be an interesting one looking going forward because apparently the draft stouts were uh, were impressed with something. Um, so yeah, good luck to him going forward. Um, so we'll talk a bit about more about the rotations and, and what Syracuse is gaining, uh, which I guess is, is of more interest to everyone in the second half uh, of what is probably going to be a shorter episode today. Um, but we'll go on to halftime uh, and a quick break for our sponsors. All right, James, I know you're not uh, the biggest beer person. Um, have you uh, been imbibing and enjoying anything uh, over the last couple of weeks? Oh, you're going to skewer me for this one. Um, not, nothing <laughs> in the Beer, nothing in the craft beer section, but have had a few Bud Lights, so that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> you know, whatever works. Like I, we try. I guess John and I probably do come off as like relative beer snobs, but I will, you know, yeah. throw back some Bud Lights if that's what's around. Uh, obviously, if I'm like a game or something, and and the selection is is ton of narrow, like you know, you gotta find you gotta find something that you know that you can find like have anywhere and enjoy. I think I thought about like Guinness a couple weeks ago for St. Pat's. Like you can find a Guinness anywhere. It's not like the 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 most exclusive craft beer but if you know you're gonna enjoy it at least you have an option um i actually had a pretty active weekend uh for those who enjoy following this part of the podcast every week um i was out and about here in new york uh, outside luckily because it was very nice this weekend um had two different things from boulevard out in uh missouri some vintage stock and also their tank seven which is their signature um always enjoy boulevard stuff i had some uh today's special amarillo ipa from grim down in brooklyn which is fantastic um and then probably the highlight of my weekend from hudson valley brewing upstate um had uh, the peach version of their silhouette series which was really delicious um had like a bit of a creaminess uh for a for a citrusy ipa so thoroughly enjoyed that uh, hopefully John will get in the comments with whatever he's drinking out on his escapades this weekend. But yeah, good, good, good beer weekend. Good weekend. I don't know if you're, you're not in the city right now. Are you, or are you, uh, you're either upstate or somewhere else right now? No. So yeah, I've, I've been upstate and, and I will be, uh, you know, for the remainder of summer, but since the season ended, I've actually come down to Florida. Uh, my mom lives down here now, so I'm spending some time with her and I'm, I'm still working remote. So uh, I'm able to be down here and just kind of work and uh, spend some time with her. So that that's the reason for the Bud Lights. If uh, <laughs> if I were upstate, uh, usually I've been mixing in the, the craft beers. 
uh, at Wegmans. Uh, I'll, get, I'll do the make my own six pack and just I've just been trying stuff. Um, nothing that I can remember off the top of my head. I think I think a Kolsch. I think it was a raspberry lime Kolsch I tried. It was it was Ooh. actually pretty good. But uh, yeah, if if I'm drinking like light beer, I'll, I'll do Labatt at home. But uh, they they obviously don't have Labatt in Florida, so that's that's the reason for the Bud Lights. <laughs> I mean, they don't even have Labatt in New York City. I do I do legitimately miss Labatt. Yeah. Um, from my yeah. college days, it was always a couple butts cheaper than like your bud or your cores. It, I think it's better. So shout out to the Canadians. And yeah, down in Florida, I was in a remark on like it was it was great drinking weather in the city. Uh, obviously in Florida, it's that's just always. Um, you know, hopefully you can grab some uh, some Cedar City, some Wakefield down there because they do have some some good options um, on the craft beer scene. But uh, okay. yeah, so back, going back to Syracuse basketball, um, I thought one <laughs> of the interesting, obviously. Uh, Taking in Jimmy was pretty obvious. Um, we've there have been rumors going on since the moment he entered the transfer portal back in the fall. Um, but I do think, on a style basis, he is a bit redundant with Swider. Um, obviously, I think there's a plan there if we're taking both. And and I don't think Jim was going to like turn down his mm-hmm. son to play for for SU. But what do you think? I, I, Jimmy um, remarked about possibly playing kind of a Marek type role in the middle of the offense and distributing. And I think that's an exciting thought, especially with his ability to knock down mm-hmm. jumpers. Um, how do you see those two playing together? And do you think we're going to see uh, a lot of both of them on the court since they do kind of occupy similar parts of the team? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think they, you know, they'll, they'll probably switch off more with Benny. Um, you know, there'll obviously be some overlap and they'll play together. Um, but I think ideally, you know, you'd like to have contrasting uh, skill sets out there and have one of them, you know, alongside Benny, who's really athletic and um, kind of more of a slasher can finish at the rim. Can shoot a little bit, but um, you know, more more athletic and, and more of a finisher at the rim. But yeah, for for those that might not be as familiar, I think Jimmy's a little bit more versatile and brings a little bit more craft um, to his skill set than maybe a Buddy. Uh, I think you know people that maybe not you know if you're not as familiar, maybe you think he's like Buddy 2.0 and he's an elite shooter and he's going to come in and just shoot. Uh, you know, Jimmy can definitely shoot. He's got a he's got a sweet stroke. He's a lefty. Um, but he can mix it up and kind of get in the lane and, um, you know, finish from the, the mid-range. He's got a little bit of a floater, and then he's crafty around the rim. So I, w- I would expect to see more of that out of him. And then, yeah, he can he can mix it up. I mean, he's he's good with the ball in his hands, and he can find people. So I, I do kind of think he'll be in that Marek role a little bit. Jimmy's more of a scorer, though. Um, Marek was unselfish to a fault, uh, passing down open shots a lot of the times, but that was just – his nature and in his game. So uh, I think Jimmy can find people and um, he can pass the ball, work it around a little bit, but, uh, but I think he could score too. Um, Cole might just be more, not, not that he'll be limited to a, a three point shooting role. I think Cole's a, probably a better shooter. Um, and, you know, he can get in the lane and, and mix it up a little bit too, but um, I, I would look for Cole to be more of a, a three point shooter. And uh, when, when you consider that and, and Jimmy can shoot as well, uh, there's going to be a lot of shooters on this team next year. Uh, I know there were some shooters on there this year, but I, but I think Syracuse actually gets better in the three-point shooting department with all these guys on the perimeter. I think I said it when before Jimmy uh, before Jimmy committed, but when we assumed he would, like there's legit like five out lineups. Um, obviously, Benny's not like yeah. the biggest shooter, but he can knock down open shots. Like if you're gonna have Gerard, both Beheim, Swider, and Benny Williams out there. Um, that's scary. <laughs> that's really scary for opposing defenses because there's there's no one you can leave open. And then if you're going to leave, leave the lane open, 
you know, either Benny's going to be able to slash um, both Buddy and Joe can get there um, and hopefully continue to improve. And then I, I agree with you. I thought um, from watching some Jimmy stuff this weekend um, and also from what I remember from his games against SU, one of which he dropped 25, he had a great game. Um, he's really crafty around the rim. He has like a really nice ability to both follow his own shot um, and just like has different like angles and, and, and approaches to like the eight foot and in type uh shots even in his yeah. bigger defenders where he's pretty impressive there so he's definitely not the same player as buddy they're they're uh they're they're very distinct but um yeah no i'm 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 pumped for the offense next year i think it could be super super exciting and if we get like a marek type like obviously not the same thing but like uh if he finds that role and really uh occupies that niche like that's that's pretty exciting as well so i'm, I'm definitely in on the jimmy Bayheim experience i think you know, I don't think he's going to be like a super superstar, but I, I do think he can find a really uh, important role and, and and thrive in it. And and obviously, I think you know Jim will find the best way to use him. Yeah, for sure, no question. And he could play. You know, he could definitely go. Um, if there's any concerns over that, I mean, he could play at this level. I, I think he's good enough. Uh, what one thing you just mentioned? Uh, I want to flip it back on you really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Cole potentially going five out and, and maybe him playing some center maybe in that kind of Leiden role. Um, what, what do you make of the, the center position? And, and do you think we see him there with, you know, obviously Barama coming back and, and Jesse looking strong down the stretch? Uh, it's fascinating because I think we'll have like two legit, like playable center centers for the first time in a while. Um, I can't really think of the last time we had like two actual big men there. Cause it's been so much of like Leiden filling in there, Marek filling in there. Um, et cetera. But I'm, I'm pumped for it because I think Barama, I've always been a fan of Barama. I don't think he's, you know, the guy who's stored like a million points at Pitt that one year, but I also think he's like a pretty locked in, could be like an eight and five guy, play 20 minutes to give you the fouls. I, I think Jesse's amazing. I just loved what Jesse did in the tournament as everyone did. Um, so to have those two and then to actually have the option of putting a Jimmy or a Cole in the middle and not like having to do it all the time, I think is really, is really nice, especially if we're playing a smaller team or a team that's just, like, not a good perimeter defensive team. Um, I've just – that's, like, the one – my one main frustration, I think, with uh, some of these some of these SU teams, even, like, some of the good ones. I just – I don't love limiting the rotation uh, so much to where, like, you don't have options. And this year's team, even if we don't add anyone else and we have, like, the seven or eight guys we have, like, I do think there's a lot of positional versatility, especially on the, at the center position, which has not been the case in so long. So – um, I'm pretty excited about having like the two true centers uh, with all the fouls and all the defensive ability that gives us. Plus, like there are definitely situations where like you know we can get away with playing one of the two forwards down low for like eight or ten minutes and maybe uh, you know drawing up some real chaos on the offensive end. And I also don't think like Barama's you know is who he is, but I think he's solid. And then like I think Jesse keeps the ball moving pretty well and is a good screener. So. Um, even if one of those dies is in, I think there's a lot of uh, potential firepower there. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense too. And uh, you know, th- that would have been great, you know, to have the luxury of depth or at least um, some guys be ready at center, um, <laughs> or or more ready, you know, however you want to phrase it. But that would have been a, a better luxury for Marek to kind of play a little bit more forward last year if you had the the guys there at center that, that you're talking about there. Um, so I'm not I'm not trying to steal your thunder as host, but um, I, I did have the the topic on my mind of, you know, Syracuse has kind of appeared in, in some top 25 lists for next year. So I, I guess let me let me pitch that back to you and then you could take it back over as host. I'm not trying to steal the spotlight from you. I certainly don't mind. I'm very comfortable in the, in the opposite role. <laughs> okay. 
but yeah, yeah, no, if, if I could ask, like, what, have, have you seen that the Syracuse has, has been in some top 25 lists and, um, you know, obviously there's still a lot of movement and there's still, you know, we're not going to have a clear picture on that until next year, but were, were you at all surprised to see them like top, top 25 and in, in some preseason lists? Um, I wasn't totally shocked because most of them were kind of taking, uh, whatever, like the question, remaining question marks are at face value. And I think most were considering like Quincy coming back and, and, uh, yeah. even earlier, like, you know, some of the other guys, Alan Griffin probably coming back before that was announced. So it wasn't too shocking coming off of like the sweet 16 run when they look, you know, really game. And even, even in that final loss, like at least looked pretty game for most of it. Um, so no, I, I'm not totally shocked. I do think that the list will probably look a fair bit different once we get to like the actual preseason ones. Um, but I think, I think like, honestly, like Buddy Bayham was one of the stories of the tournament and uh, especially the first two, yeah. two weekends and also even the ACC tournament. So I think when you have like that kind of narrative building, plus you like, you know, people might have no idea who Jimmy Bayham is as a player, but like you throw that in and that's something people are going to talk about. You have a five-star coming in and Benny. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't shocked. Uh, I think it was probably a little bit optimistic if you're from the Syracuse perspective. But I do think there are reasons to be optimistic. And, and the season did end on a high note. And hopefully for like the one thing that I, has also really bothered me with some of these other tournament runs is like we haven't, we haven't taken them to the next year and like had, had the success in 2016 and 2018 really uh, pay off the following yeah. season in a big way. So that doesn't mean that will never happen. And if that does happen and like, especially if like, again, if Joe takes a step forward and then Buddy is just like was showing off the future at the end of the year. And that was a long, it was a long stretch where he was playing great. So it wasn't like a, this blip. Um, then I think, yeah, it's legitimate. I, I, I wish I, in, in my world, like if I was Jim Beheim, I would probably be going to try to add another guard just to give us uh, some more punch there. Um, but I'm, I'm happy with having Torrance. I think he'll help, especially defensively. So yeah, I think fringe yeah. top 25 is not crazy. Um, I've kind of talked myself into some more optimism than I had right after the season and when all the transfers hit, but um I, I probably would have us on the outside looking in. Uh, but we'll see what happens for the rest of the summer. Like, obviously, you know, give, give me one article about, like, Buddy shooting 90% from three and, and Jesse, you know, John Rothstein saying Jesse drew four inches and is now dominant, and I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's coming, the, the John Rothstein trip to Central New York. We can't wait. Jesse Edwards, no, uh, seven foot seven, and he shoots a three. Let's go. And he's, he'll be a blood shooter at that point. Like Caleb Joseph, he'll be shooting the ball oh, okay. out of the ball. <laughs> and, 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 and Caleb did. We all know this. <laughs> There's no denying that. There's, no, there's plenty of facts to back that up. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess yeah. it's good. I mean, it, it feels like we, we have a little bit of momentum for the first time in a while. Now, it might be like just people were tuning in for the tournament and like, oh, Syracuse looked great. But I, I, I don't know. I felt, I felt really good in 2017 because we added a bunch of guys. But then obviously that kind of, you know, didn't materialize in enough time, but I think I do feel better than I did and en- probably entering this season and maybe entering 2019. Um, but it, time will tell, like we, we also kind of need buddy or someone or Benny, if he's up to it as a freshman to like, I don't know. I think we, we were missing the Tyus battle or that Elijah Hughes type for a lot of the season and having a guy we can just like get the ball to and make something happen um, would be nice, but there's still time to figure that out, I guess. Yeah, no, spot on. It, you, you bring up an interesting point, too. Um, obviously, 2016, there's the Final Four run, and Syracuse comes back in 2017 and misses the tournament altogether. And then 2018, kind of more similarly, made the Sweet 16, um, brought some guys back, and never quite you know, achieved the, the potential of the talent on that roster. 
um, obviously with, with Frank going down in the preseason with the foot injury and um, some guys just kind of struggling. You added Elijah Hughes, you think you'd have more talent and uh, just never quite put it all together. But yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting too. Another, um, the point about lacking, you know, kind of that Elijah or, or Tyus on that team last year, the, one of those guys would have really helped against a team like Houston um, where you can just kind of have a guy go one-on-one uh, maybe throw a screen and roll just to get a switch or something along those lines and just kind of have a guy go out there and get you a bucket. Um, obviously, you know, Buddy, as great of a tournament run as he, he had, uh, he was mitigated uh, by, by Houston's defense and, and uh, by Giroux. So that, that was tough. You know, you, you could definitely see a battle or um, that kind of one-on-one player being able to help a team like that in a situation. Unfortunately, I, I don't know that Syracuse has that that player. Um, obviously a lot of shooting and, um, a lot of talented offense, but maybe not necessarily a guy that can go out and go one-on-one and and create his own shot. But, um, on the, on the whole, we'll, we'll see, you know, I, I definitely do think Syracuse is a fringe, you know, top 25 team, maybe the sweet 16 run and and buddy being a story and, you know, Jimmy coming in has the national media folks maybe overrating them a little bit, but, uh, yeah, certainly the talent will be there and it'll be interesting to see how it, how it all pieces together as we get closer to the season. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think, I think it's funny because like if on those Tyus and Elijah teams where they were like, so, you know, you knew what was going to happen when we needed a basket, like they were going to take the ball to a one-on-one and, you know, for better or worse, it, I think they would have really benefited from having like a veteran buddy or uh, even a Joe, like setting the defense. So, you know, one, one of these years we'll bring it back all together and have uh, everything at once because uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree on the Houston game. I think Tyus would have just found some things and, and Jero is obviously an incredible defender. And I, I think after that game, I was like, we just ran into a really, a real buzzsaw of a team and a, a bad matchup for yeah. us. But um, it is hard not to think that like Tyus would have just got a couple like gritty buckets to, to get, keep things in, in range and, and open things up for everyone else. But uh, water under the bridge, I guess, I, you know, you can't really be too disappointed with how the tournament went overall. Um, just, you know, most of my, most of, I think most of our problems are with the regular season and just getting more consistency there. But I know that's a really heated debate <laughs> in, in Syracuse land uh, here in the weeks after the tournament. Do they matter? Do they not matter? Uh, TBD, but uh, yeah, no qualms with how the season ended. I mean, obviously, a lot of people had Syracuse losing to San Diego State, and, and Syracuse just blitzed through SDSU. And, uh, you know, obviously, the, the big upset over West Virginia it was an incredible game. So not not too much to be unhappy with there. Maybe if you, you're looking past Houston and you see Oregon State in the Elite Eight, you know, maybe there's a little bit of disappointment there, but but overall, on the whole, I mean, to to see them make another run as a double-digit seed was was pr- pretty impressive, and you know, kind of another feather in Beheim's cap there. Yeah, I'm not trading it in. Um, I guess right before we go, um, how much are we all betting on Jim Beheim's Kentucky Derby horse? <laughs> what a ridiculous story! <laughs> I'm betting zero dollars on that. <laughs> betting nothing there. Fair enough. That's probably the right decision. But I, you know, if I'm if I'm in a gambling uh, legal state at the time, and uh, you know, the the urge strikes me, I might have to throw some money on a uh, what was the horse's name? It was like some kind of like a uh, questionable for a uh, college basketball coach name. I think um, something like something about money. I don't know. Not not quite bad dropper, but it was along the same lines. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, anyway, Nash was that makes me think you're a bag dropper or. Uh, maybe you're just immature and you're talking about places that you hid your marijuana stash when you were a kid in your parents' <laughs> home or something like that. That was that was it. 
really, truly an incredible, yeah. incredible name for a Jim Beheim owned horse, at least in part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think but we it, are it all. Sounds like, it sounds like he doesn't even have that much faith in the horse because on, on the interview with Brent, he said, you know, the last, he, he likened it to the, the last team making the NCAA tournament and how often does that team win? So if, if Jim Beheim's not confident in his horse, I don't know that I deserve to be confident in his horse either. That's very fair. And I don't, I'm not a huge horse racing fan. I don't remember hearing a lot of uh, Central New York horses making the Derby, um, but I, I will be rooting for that horse uh, intently and then forgetting about it afterwards. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think we're, we're uh, going to wrap up here. Uh, James, thank you for filling in this week. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Happy to come aboard. And, uh, you know, ne- next time I'll, I'll have a better a, a better beer story prepared. This this time you caught me a little <laughs> bit off guard. But next okay. next time I promise I'll have a beer story. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, there that we this is a, you know, wide open, uh, you know, we embrace <laughs> the entire spectrum of the beer world here, even if it doesn't always seem it. Um, but yes, thank you again for coming on. We will definitely have you on soon to talk more basketball, maybe, you know, maybe NBA draft stuff. But uh yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And uh, hope everyone has a great week. Uh, and uh, Joe Orange. Thanks, guys.